If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to uh, another podcast episode with Amy Talika-Bass. Now, we had you on the podcast back in episode 42. Um, Amy runs a program called Mama Rising, which I know a lot of our listeners are are familiar with. She's a best-selling author, speaker, journalist, and a matrescence activist. And uh, I really... I'm excited about our conversation today because we've already sort of talked about a little bit about your matrescence framework more generally. So if people want to go back to episode uh, 42 and listen in on that, they can. And today we wanted to take that a little bit further and chat about what matrescence looks like when we return to work, because there are lots of transitions that happen after becoming mothers and the actual birth is just really the beginning of many transitions. So Amy, welcome again to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. And uh, what a great topic. I was excited when you suggested this topic. And uh, how did you, I guess, find yourself talking about returning to work? Like how did that and, and when, I guess, did that come up in your in what you do? Looking back, it's actually always been one of the biggest struggles of my own motherhood and matrescence experience. Yes, I definitely had a really rough time when my first daughter was born and that immediate postpartum period because, um, as I have shared many times um, before, she was born with some pretty severe physical restrictions and, and pains. And so those first few months were absolutely horrendous for both of us. Um, but I personally got through that, remembering that when I get back to work, I'll know what I'm doing. I found early motherhood so confronting that it was the first time in my life I really couldn't control everything and know what I was doing or try harder and get better at it. And I remember holding my breath, just waiting. When I get back to work, I went back to work with um, my first two kids at nine months old, both of them. And I remember walking through that door on my first day back at the ABC when she was just over nine months old and, and feeling incredibly sad that I'd just left, left my baby, even though I'd been waiting nine months in some ways to do this and walking in and feeling like I didn't fit in there anymore either and feeling once again this real split within me of when I'm at home, I want to be at work and when I'm at work, I want to be at home and the fact of part-time work, the fact that therefore I wasn't able to contribute like I used to. I was definitely treated differently in some aspects by some people uh, because I was only part-time. I really struggled with that identity shift within me. So it's always been something that I'm super passionate about. And then as I developed Mama Rising certification and coaching certification, we focus very much, of course, on the experience of matrescence right from when you first fall pregnant or consider pregnancy. And of course, we've always talked about beyond that postpartum period because matrescence doesn't end on that first birthday, as we both know so well. And the more that I kept developing this and teaching it and getting feedback and listening, the more demand there was to talk about this aspect of work 
and not just her own experience and how we can support mothers around that, but actually also bringing into the training, into the work that I'm doing, how we can talk to workplaces about this because research is just so clear that the reason why she often leaves or pulls back or um, resigns is because she feels so isolated and misunderstood at work and she feels like she's not doing a good job at home and then she's not doing a good job at work. And so if we really want to support mothers differently and change the way they feel in these early years of motherhood, we have to look at what, how she's being treated, how she's being viewed and valued in the workplace as well. Yes, I think that's so true. And also what you mentioned in there, it's not only just about the mum feeling good about herself, it's also about actually workplaces getting the best employees because we know that women are very well educated and we know a lot of them drop out of the workforce when they have babies or pull back. And um, and sometimes it's called like the mummy track and, and women get sort of um, stereotyped. But we also know that a lot of the brain changes that happen during that transition actually make them really great in workplaces, better at multitasking, more efficient, great leadership skills, more compassion and empathy. And so we should be actually valuing the things that motherhood brings to a workplace rather than putting up with the inconvenience of having someone in the workplace who happens to be a mum. Oh, I totally agree. And as part of the training, we're now bringing in like presentations to make to HR managers and team managers about the benefits of baby brain and a mother in those years. Because at the moment, there is one, there's lots of different research into this, but one in particular I found around um, interviewing and, and speaking to pregnant and new mothers in the workplace found that 77% of them have experienced some form of discrimination around being pregnant or just returning. You know, this is outwardly, um, outward comments by employees or colleagues or more insidious unconscious bias sometimes or conscious but insidious bias towards these women. Women, pregnant, visibly pregnant women in the workplace are automatically assumed that they're not as committed, that they're more emotional, they're not as strong, they're more feminine. There's all of these insights that we are hearing about how many of our leaders in workplaces assume that because she's pregnant, she's not able to do her job anymore. And, you know, I so many times I've heard, Julia, that, and I remember when I found out I was pregnant with my third, I had this feeling of you find out you're pregnant and one of the first or second thoughts is, oh, my God, how am I going to tell my boss? It is such a key part of this understanding how differently we feel about ourselves. And if we can change that in the workplace, then I think we're going to make a really big difference. So what we want to be able to do is bring that understanding around baby brain and her greater skills and her greater contribution to the workplace now and also empower her to understand how differently she feels about it. Because the other thing that we know through matrescence and, and what you and I both do is taking my own story, for example, you know, being a journalist at the ABC was just such a core part of who I thought I would be for the rest of my life. And when I found motherhood so incredibly hard at the start, I hung on to that so deeply. Then when I walked back in and looked around, I was like, oh, no, I don't think I want to be this person anymore either. And in, way, and in a way that was more destabilizing 
than the experience of motherhood. It was more shocking to me that I wasn't as passionate about this huge career that I was building like I used to be because I'd spent so much of my life, especially growing up, you know, with feminism teachings around me and being that really empowered, independent woman that my career was who I was. And then suddenly I wanted to stay home with my babies. Like, what's happened to me? And again, we have to peel back these layers and have these real conversations about how differently we feel about these things after we've had children make it normal, and also say that there'll be a period of time where maybe you won't be as passionate about your work. That may come back. It may not. But what are we going to do in the meantime? Yeah, I love that. And uh, and everyone reacts to that experience of matrescence so differently because um, some people want to rush back to work and some mm. people never want to go back to work. And often that's not what we think it's going to be. Some people think I'm going to book the full year. I'm I'm going to stay home till my kids are in primary school, you know, and then it turns out that they, they actually don't like being a stay-at-home mum. You can't tell how you're going to feel before you've had that baby and, and it can change, you know, from year to year. So it is a really tumultuous time. It's unpredictable. Um, but I think as well a lot of what pushes women out of the workplace is is flexibility uh, and and that sort of thing too. Even if people do love their career, they want to return to their career, um, but they often aren't given the working conditions that that can fit around a family. So women often have to give up careers that they're good at, that they love doing, uh, because it simply won't be suitable for them anymore and there's not enough childcare and, you know, dads aren't really expected to help in the same way and that sort of thing. So there's so many different things to unpack. There is. And we've recently, as a, an organisation, as a company, started some corporate coaching um, contracts uh, going in and not only coaching and supporting parents, both fathers and mothers, um, before, during and after paternity leave, but also uh, educating, in a way, the leaders and HR consultants, like I said before. And in those conversations, Julia, do you know what pretty much every single one of those mothers and mothers-to-be talked about. Love my job. It's really flexible. I've got a great manager who says I can totally come in late and actually feel really supported in the workplace. It's at home I'm not supported. It's at home that I still do all of the housework. I feel like everything falls on me. It's me who has to organise the birthday party, the dentist appointment, you know, all of that invisible load of motherhood. And so, again, I think in the broader conversation around how do we change the system for mothers, I think we have to acknowledge all of these parts, you know, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, workplace, home, relationships. It has, it's all part of this pie that contributes to her sense of well-being. I found this amazing research paper earlier in the year. Um, I can send it to you to put into the show notes if you like. And it looked at the well-being indicators of mothers and fathers in the first five years of parenthood. Well-being, looking at, um, you know, their happiness level, how excited they were about their future, how um, they felt like their, wife, their life was heading in the right direction. Um and they found that a mother's well-being indicators, actually the thing that contributed to the lowering of her well-being the most in the first five years 
wasn't the experience of being a mother. In fact, it increased her well-being. She looked forward to her life more. Sure, she was tired, but there was bigger purpose. Her future looked, you know, better because she had these children. The thing that lowered her well-being in the first five years was two things. One was she felt that her partner's career was advancing more than hers. And the second was she was doing more housework or home uh, duties than her partner. They were the two biggest indicators to the lowering of a mother's well-being in the first five years of parenting. So if we're looking at how to support mothers, we have to be able to talk about the fact of how she feels about her work and how she feels about her duties at home. We can't do this in a silo is what I've discovered and I really want us all to be able to to talk about and workplaces have to acknowledge that too. Yeah, I would guess as well that's probably a large contributor to marriage breakdown. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I know, <laughs> you know, my marriage has survived becoming parents, but absolutely our biggest arguments have always been around those two, top, two topics, my husband's mm-hmm. career advancing more quickly than mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm very ambitious and people would probably perceive me as successful and I'm like, I haven't done half the things <laughs> that I want to do. <laughs> Tell me about it. Exactly. Yeah. And isn't that sad? I actually think that's quite heartbreaking, the rate. And even as you said, if the marriage, if the marriage does survive, the, the impact that has had on relationships in those early years of parenting, um, you know, where's the conversation and support around that? And that's also what I think we, um, you know, if we can talk to pregnant women about more than just, you know, the birth plan, beyond all of that, to really have great conversations with the partner about support and, um, you know, who does what around the house and set those seeds right from the beginning. Gosh, I mean, who knows? I don't know if I can say if that had happened 15 years ago when my daughter was was born, if my husband and I would still be together. I can't guarantee that, but I do know that um, a great deal of the stresses over the last decade in our relationship came from the the magnitude of raising three children on our own in Sydney and having um, that disparate support um, around childcare was a big contributing factor. So, yes, in this work that I'm doing and the conversations that we're all having, I'm so passionate about going beyond her experience of mothering and looking at work relationships and support around her because, my God, I believe that that's going to make a just as big an impact. Yeah, and I think we've talked a bit about some of the systems change stuff, like there can be better HR policies and better understanding in corporate environments. But there is also some individual mindset work to do as well because I noticed that on the one hand, a lot of men are really reluctant to ask for flexible hours or part-time work because they think they'll be mummy tracked. And I'm like, well, fair enough. Welcome so to our world. <laughs> <laughs> and then also a lot of women are reluctant to pay for help around the house, even when they're working a lot and earning a lot of money. There's still a lot of resistance to things like paying a cleaner or mm-hmm. simplifying their lives by outsourcing birthday parties, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. Because because we've wrapped up so much in our identity as good mothers, not only parenting skills, but also all domestic skills. Um, And we feel like failures as a mother if we're not personally the one who's wrapping the present, who's washing the dishes, who's baking the cake, even if it's 3am in the morning and we're exhausted. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all done it. And so I think for men and women, it's really important that we all explore our own roles and our own understanding of gender and start to deconstruct some of that and make some of those difficult choices. If you're a man, go and ask for flexible work, even if that makes you look like you're not devoted to your career. And if you're a woman, go and pay for a cleaner, even if that makes you feel like a bad mother, you know. Yes. Is this podcast making you wonder if becoming a postpartum professional is right for you? Download our free guide at newbornmothers.com. You'll learn what qualifications and training you need, what sort of hours you can work, what to wear, and most importantly, how to actually make a living from postpartum care. Because it's not feminism if women don't get paid. Visit newbornmothers.com to learn more. It is really difficult because, you know, this is on both the micro and macro level, this change has to happen. And sometimes I know myself and so many of the women in my community feel like we're just fighting this uphill battle against the system to try and change these gendered assumptions. Um, And so we do have to do it on both levels. We do have to, and that's what I really hope this, this training and this future of this work does, is that we come to it from top down and from bottom up. Um, I think what I love doing so much is seeing the shift in a mama's perspective of how she's feeling and what's going on in her life when she begins to understand the bigger systematic reasons why we're here. Um, I love doing that. (laughs) The feminist activist in me is like, yeah, but do you realise, just like you said, how much this idea of being a good mother is also wrapped up in these domestic duties and this is the system that we live in? For so long in my own healing in early motherhood, I didn't see it in a bigger perspective. I saw it as a very personal failure. I saw it as a very personal thing that I, individual thing that I needed to fix if I did better with this, if I was on top of this more, if only I could get up more earlier, or if only I was more organised. And it was only once I started studying through my work with Dr. Aurelie Athen and, and around matrescence and looking at it as more of a cultural story, I was like, oh, wait a second. I picked up these ideas from before I was a mum and, oh, the reason why he doesn't want to speak up and ask for the same things at work is because of the cultural assumption around men at work. And, oh, like there was just so many layers of forgiveness, I think is one way to put it, but also acceptance that I can do as much as I can to change this for myself, but there's also just going to be a level of acceptance of myself and others that we're also all doing this in this system. I hope that makes sense. I think it's yeah, really I powerful. Think so. I think mm. so, and, and we absolutely need both because on the one hand, yeah. understanding those bigger stories can give us the courage to take individual action, mm. but also understanding that we're sort of swimming upstream can make us more accepting of why it's so hard. Like, well, I've asked for this and I've I've done that and I've but nothing's happened, you know, I'm still stuck and it's still not changing. And it's not your fault. That is because this yeah. is hard. This is big. This is intergenerational. That's, That's right. Like getting a mama to pay for a cleaner, if she doesn't really understand why it's so hard for her to say yes to that, 
then she's going to have that internal battle of I should do it, but I don't know why I want to, but I can't because I shouldn't spend the money on that. Like there's that internal battle where if we can sort of shine light on bullets because we still tell women they need to be able to do it all, that you feel like you can't spend money on this, then hopefully there's a little bit of that forgiveness and acceptance. Um, you know, I was that mum who would be up until 1am, as you said, we've all done it. Um, because I was working full time. And um, so I was up until 1am making the birthday cakes. It was almost like I couldn't outsource it because I already felt like I was missing out on so much anyway. I was already not there for all the school pickups. I was already not there for when they woke up in the mornings because I was doing breakfast radio. So I just pushed myself to almost prove, look, but I'm a great mum because I made a barbie cake at 1am and ah, oh, they're the things that... Um, I hope we can we can change. Yeah, and it is hard, you know. None of this is to say that it's easy. It's you know, it takes a lot of courage, um, and it, <laughs> it takes does. A, yeah, and it takes a lot of you know revisiting these stories. Um, so tell me a little bit about more about the what you're actually doing here. You're in the course. You're teaching your students to be able to have these conversations in corporate settings and also with individual mums what does that yes. look like well we have the individual coaching and group coaching model um in there which has always been in there it's a combination of life coaching skills that um i was taught and have used for over a decade um and we have some amazing coaching trainers in there now married with the uh, I guess the unique formula of support, the unique way that we support mothers using the understanding of matrescence. Um, what I found when I started coaching many years ago, using the amazing but straightforward coaching skills, was that it lacked the compassion and empathy for the complete unpredictability of early motherhood. I, I started off coaching new mums and using the very, in a way, very masculine, very corporate coaching model that most coaches use. Like, you know, you start by setting a goal and you have actionable tasks each time. And then you come back two weeks later and what did you get done and what didn't you get done? And why is that? And how can you support yourself better? And all of those things. And what I found was that, you know, quite often in between those two weeks of coaching a mama, she hadn't done anything that we said she would because she had three rounds of gastro. She hasn't had a second to herself. And when she gets on that Zoom or a decade ago when I started, it was Skype, she burst into tears because it was the first time she'd had a minute to herself since two weeks earlier. And me asking her, well, did you do that thing? And did you ask for more help? And did you take Saturday afternoon off to go and sit in the park like you wanted to? And she cries and says, no, I couldn't because everyone had gastro. I was just contributing to her feeling like she was failing. So very quickly, I threw that whole coaching model out the window and started to try and find a different way, still moving forward towards how she wanted to feel, but doing it in a very much more compassionate way. So that's still very much what we teach and we um, practice in the training. And now we've added out other elements to be able to do that in a group setting. But also what we found is, <clears throat> to be honest, the memorizing coaching model is quite spiritual. It's deeply feminine. It talks a lot about rites of passage, um, honoring the feminine within you, letting go of those masculine ways of being. 
And we had some amazing coaches have opportunities to go into their workplaces and make changes. Some of our previous students have um, brought a change to post-maternity leave support in LinkedIn in Australia, uh, in a huge commercial real estate business, in a bank. We've got some amazing coaches in there and the feedback they were giving me was, it's really amazing, Amy, but I can't talk about that part because it's a bit woo-woo for them. Like I can't talk about the spiritual awakening of matrescence. I can't talk about the feminine in this in a workshop or in the boardroom. Um, and so we started to tweak the way we were presenting it and the language around it to make it more accessible for those corporate clients and those workshops and workplaces. And so now as part of the training, we very much have built out a, um, a model of the mummerizing way of doing things that kind of, you know, is a bit more acceptable to palatable. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. I mean, for example, the um, Engineers Association of Australia asked me to do a presentation on matrescence. And, you know, whew, when you're talking to an organisation that has like, I can't remember, I'm sorry, something like 90% male um, uh, members, and they're wondering why they can't keep women <laughs> in the organisation. And so you're looking at the presentation, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to change some of this because we want allies, right? Again, if we're looking at the top-down change, we have to meet them where they are. We have to have conversations that's about productivity and investment in their staff retention and all of these things. And so when you talk about the rights of passage of women being ignored for generations, they don't, they don't care about that. They just want to know why they can't keep their working mothers employed and, and company loyalty. So that's what we've done. We've built out a second part really of how to talk about this in workplaces, how to do a presentation to a corporation around the importance of understanding matrescence and then using that model. So, yes, it's definitely been, you know, as all of our beautiful businesses and work is, it's trial and error, feedback, listening to the people who are out there doing it because that's we've got over 200 coaches and facilitators now and they come back to me and like oh Amy we think we need this and so we just keep adjusting it and tweaking it and updating it yeah because this is emerging work I mean it's a culture where postpartum doesn't really exist we think it's depression and so we're reviving a lot of stuff but adapting it for these situations that aren't really familiar with it and yeah it's really is trial and error and and it's a joy to <clears throat> have colleagues like you Amy who've also been doing this for such a long time and keep expanding and growing and tweaking and uh you know like it's it's so great to see those changes happening thank you thank you I feel the same um and I will add that it's actually really exciting because workplaces are starting to be interested in this they do know that there is a great lean out. There's a great resignation around the world, especially of working mothers. They do recognise that there is a gender burnout gap that uh, in particular women, especially post-COVID working mothers, their, their progression to equal pay and equal roles has actually gone backwards by decades post-COVID. Companies are really looking for how do we do this better? So that's super exciting. Although we have to change the language and, you know, make it palatable for them, 
in in a way they're still asking for it and that i think it's 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 our in right it's our entry point because like this bank that i've been working with they they want it for the dads now too because they're looking at equal paternity leave in the near future they want the next group of employees the next generation of employees are going to demand so much well-being and support from their workplaces. So, you know, that gives me goosebumps. I feel like this is the top-down change we might be looking at that we've all been waiting for while we also support the mamas one by one. Yeah, that's so great. I think that reflects a lot of how my work is evolving and changing too. It's really exciting to see over time how we're able to make these bigger cultural um, shifts as well. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been really great to chat. We'll pop some links up for people who want to learn more about Mama Rising. I know it's enrolling um, now and uh, we we love it. We have lots of students in common. So if any of our students um, have studied with newborn mothers and are thinking about, you know, what else, I, I would definitely think that there's a lot of really great um, kind of values alignment with, with Mama Rising. And uh, I always love collaborating with you, Amy. Thanks for being here. Same. Thanks, Julia. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.